Welcome to episode three of season two of the Savage Pads podcast. I'm your host, Doug Battle, and do we have a show for you today? Former UGA tight end and William V. Campbell Trophy semifinalist Jackson Harris joins us to catch dog fans up on his NFL pursuit and to discuss how James Coley's playbook has opened up the offense, especially for UGA's current tight ends. Then Corey Amick will return from his epic roast of Tennessee with another epic roast. Tennessee. This is a segment you will not want to miss after the Savage Pads Savagery segment with Corey. The originators of the Savage Pads will join us. That's right, we've got a few members of the UGA Spike Squad for the first ever Savage Pads Superfan segment. And last but certainly not least, guest analyst and my good friend Caleb Gwynn will return to the show to break down the good the bad, and the ugly from last Saturday before looking ahead to the dog's final tune-up game before Notre Dame week. This is the Savage Pads Podcast. Stick around. Practice every day. Man, oh man. Mono ain't mono. He he definitely six-hour mod being myself. As close as we uh, have right now to rope on. When we scored, I honestly did not know where I was for about five seconds. Early on, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking to him. Maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I, I don't think we've yet to see the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team, and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner, and uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began the trust of Eric Murray. Is my quarterback. The kid was just special. I was famous. He was on side. Everybody respects his facts. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back you. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. Former UGA tight end Jackson Harris is on the line. Jackson, thank you for joining the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, I I know the last time most UGA fans saw you was in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl. Can you just real briefly catch dog fans up on your life and career since your final game wearing the red and black? Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's been a whirlwind since, you know, I've finished at the Sugar Bowl. You know, I came back home. um, Yeah, I was still taking classes had some online classes. And I trained in Nashville area for uh, about two months or I guess almost three months. Up leading up to pro day, which was in uh, mid March, and um, so I was, you know, training hard, doing my classes at night, and uh, leading up to pro day, I felt like I had a, a real solid pro day. And then after that, just you know, kind of same old stuff, just hanging around, training, you know, waiting for an opportunity. And um, all in the meantime, where I'll take my classes, and I actually studied and passed my FE exam, okay, um, which is a big test for. Uh, engineer mechanical engineers which is what i graduated in right uh, then graduated that may uh had a couple uh mini camps with different teams i went out to seattle and then i had one with the falcons and uh, a workout with the titans also okay so uh kind of bouncing around you know just trying to you know make the most of every opportunity i get and uh going in the summer i actually got married uh july 6th oh congrats Thank you. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a lot, you know, not only am I trying to do football, but getting married and finishing school and 
going into the fall, I um, got y'all back up. You know, I got married, went on honeymoon to Jamaica for a week, and uh, about two or three weeks after that, I get a call from Seattle saying, you know, don't bring me up to fall camp. Wow. So uh, I got a call at 4.30 on a Thursday evening, and, you know, I was about hour and a half later, I was on the way to Atlanta Airport to um, fly out to Seattle and had a workout first thing the next morning, got about two hours of sleep, and I guess they liked enough what they saw that they ended up signing me, and, you know, I was there for the next four or five weeks during uh, fall camp. Okay. Um, so I went really solid, and then, uh, what was it, I guess September 1st is when they have the cut, and so they, they cut basically cut the roster down from 90 to 53 man, and unfortunately, that's a hard cut to make, and I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still feel like I have a great relationship with that staff, and I feel like I left a great impression. Uh, got a lot of good quality reps in the four preseason games, and um, you know, I feel good with what I put on film. So you know, we'll see what happens. I feel like that door is very much still open. It's just kind of waiting for an opportunity. You know it. There's right. a lot of injuries, a lot of moves and changes throughout the season. So we'll see if anything happens. And um, in the meantime, I'll stay in shape. And if I don't hear anything for a couple of weeks, I'll probably, you know, at least start working part time. Got to make a living, too. And um, then kind of go from there. Yeah, I got you. We, we've seen so many former Georgia guys kind of go down that same road of, of getting cut on that last cut and, and then eventually making into the league. And, of course, as – as a Georgia fan and pulling for you to to follow in that line. But I, I want to talk for a moment about this Georgia team, starting with the offensive coordinator. James Coley is a guy who was part of the staff late in your career at Georgia, and this year he's taken over as offensive coordinator after the departure of Jim Chaney. Early in the season, what changes have you seen in James Coley's offense just in those first two games as it pertains to the tight end position in particular? And how does that differ from Jim Chaney's use of that position? Yeah, just from the little bit I saw and from talking to the guys there, as I still have a good connection with them. It's just I feel like he's he's very he's opened up the offense a bit. You know, I feel like uh, you know he's not afraid to to throw it in early downs. He's not afraid to um, really just kind of open things up and let their players, you know, let Jake throw it around, let Charlie and um, all that whole uh, incredible tight end career we got it out and you know make some plays mm-hmm. um i don't know the st- stats and all but i've already know like for a fact there's from this time last year to have a lot more catches as a, as a unit which is uh, awesome to see i'm super excited for him yeah so uh but it's a great talented group and like i'll just hope and i think they are getting to really display it this year yeah we we've definitely seen tennessee transfer eli wolf uh, catch more balls than he did all last year under jeremy prude at tennessee and he's actually been targeted more than, than Charlie Warner and John Fitzpatrick, two returning players in these first two games. From what you've seen and just what you know about the tight ends on this roster, do you think the first two games were a fluke concerning the proportion of targets Eli Wolf's receiving relative to the other guys? And how do you foresee those targets um, going around moving forward? Honestly, you know, I'll, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think – the way Coach Coley is, is he's going to utilize both those players to their ability. Mm-hmm. Whatever that looks like, each one of them has unique talents that they can bring to the table. And I feel like he's going to you know, look at that. And definitely once you get in these big games, you might see 
that there's going to be certain packages, going to be certain plays designed for certain guys because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, not everyone's the same. Everyone has their – it's a little better at something else than someone else is. And mm-hmm. um, I know it doesn't answer your question, but um, who knows? I mean, time will tell. Mm-hmm. And and while we're on the subject of, of different players bringing different things to the table, John Fitzpatrick's the tight end who has – earned some rave reviews for his pass catching abilities in practice and he's seen the field quite a bit early this season but most Georgia fans still don't know what exactly he brings to the tight end room um, partially because he hasn't been targeted often as a former teammate of John's what did you see from him that that differentiates him from some of the other tight ends in that room and how do you expect him to contribute this season yeah I've always you know I've had lots of hopes and big things for John. He's mm-hmm. he really is a great all around guy. He has a great frame. I mean he's six he's all of six seven, great frame and you know, even since he first got there, he's putting on a lot of muscle, a lot of strength and he's really starting to fill out his body. Um but no everything you said spot on, but he's I feel like he's gonna be a uh, a big name tight end, you know, in the upcoming mm-hmm. years. Like I say, he's big, he's physical, he's fast, and get out and catch balls. So, um, yeah, I, I expect big things out of him. And I think um, he's certainly a hard worker, and he's going to um, use that for his advantage. And I think he's going to be playing his game for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, he's obviously one of many talented tight ends on this roster that, that bring different elements. And it's easy to forget that while these guys are competing for playing time to see the field and see the ball, they're also a group that – it's working out together and eating together and, and naturally coming close to one another. How were you able to balance competition and friendship with, with teammates such as Jeb and uh, Charlie Warner during your time at UGA? Yeah, that's honestly been one of the most, most positive experiences since being at Georgia. Is mm-hmm. um, it's Ever since I got there, Jeb was part of it. And you can trade us all the way back to Jay Rome and people before him. It's just... The, we have never felt that pressure, that um, envy or whatever it is that may come with the playing time and the, all that. It's because, like, these guys truly want the best for each other. At the end of the day, like, we're all on the same team. We're in the same pursuit, same goal. And uh, that's been one of the biggest blessings uh, of when I've been a part of the organization. And for what I know, it's still the same. It's just definitely a tight end group in particular. It's just a bunch of good dudes, you know, mm-hmm. and want absolutely nothing the best for each other and the team. And, um, I have I haven't heard one single time someone complain about reps or catches uh, in my whole time there. Wow. Well, last question for you, Jackson. Uh, you were part of a team that swept the SEC East two years in a row by double digits. You've played these teams, and you know this Georgia team's strength as well as its areas of vulnerability. So, in your opinion, what SEC East team on Georgia's schedule poses the greatest threat to the Dogs' current streak? Man, um, honestly, I don't think there is much that <laughs> pose a lot of risk, which is an awesome thing. Right. If I had to pick someone, I would say Florida just because I feel like they are one of the few teams I can just keep up. That they, They're the only people that have athletes, mm-hmm. you know, that can keep up with uh, all these great athletes and recruits that Georgia has now. Um, I, I personally think I'm biased. You know, I, I still don't think that means anything. I, I think – the dogs are going to do what we've done the past two years there. and um, But with that being said, you know, they're a good team, too, with good coaches. And, um, you know, you never know. All it takes is one week to go in and not have the right focus or right practices or 
couple of bad calls or, you know, who knows. But um, I feel confident, and Georgia's an incredible team this year all around, and it's it's fun to watch them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel like Florida is the, the one team with the horses to do it, although I just don't see it happening based on what I've seen from both teams so far this season. But we will see. I am certainly looking forward to that one. Um, but but Jackson, thank you again for joining us. It's been a pleasure hosting you here on the show, and I know dog fans appreciate hearing from you and, and, and hearing kind of where you're at right now. So thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Go dogs. Go dogs. All right, we are back with everyone's favorite recurring segment, Savage Pads Savagery, featuring former Tennessee fan Corey Amick. Now, Corey, I, I want to get to Tennessee, but we've got to start by discussing Georgia State because I, I don't think a lot of people saw this, but Georgia State had a big 48-42 to 42 win over the Furman Palladians on Saturday. Is it possible that Tennessee is not that bad, but rather that Georgia State is that good? No. Doug, I wish I could say yes, but I, I think Tennessee is literally just that bad. Um, okay. I think I had a lot of hope for the Vols on Saturday to, to bounce back in some way, um, not as a fan, but just as a, a human being. Um, Compassion. But I think that if uh, – yeah, exactly. I think that if they played Georgia State again, that I think their result would only get worse at this point. I think that Georgia State would just expose them in ways that they now know how to expose them and that it would probably be a, a two or three score game. Wow. That's, that's really scary. And the fact does remain that Tennessee did pay them. They did pay Georgia state $950,000 to beat them in week one. However, records show that the Tennessee athletic department did not pay out anything to BYU in week two how do you explain the sudden change in fiscal responsibility coming out of the volunteers athletic department? So yeah, fiscally they're trying to recover from that $950,000 check um, written out to Georgia state by selling beer in the stadium. So mm. beers are going for $12 a can. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure how many people showed up for the BYU game. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's probably under the 70,000 mark. But I would say they made some big-time cash off, off alcohol sales because, as you know, up in Knoxville, they like to do a certain type of chugging, and I'm sure it was mm. a, a popular festiv- well, game day festivity that the fans took part in to prepare themselves for that, that BYU game. Yeah, maybe this whole thing is like a, a ploy to get people to buy beer because they think if we play to a certain standard, people are going to drink themselves away from the pain and we can sell alcohol in our stadium now. So they're actually making a ton of money from being terrible. Well, yeah, I actually think that maybe Tennessee threw the game against BYU because they knew that none of the BYU fans being Mormon would drink while they were at the game. So they wanted to make sure that as Tennessee crumbled, they would have as much alcohol as necessary to get the fans through it. So maybe it all is just a, a ploy by Pruitt. Yeah, that's probably the most likely scenario to, to describe what happened in that game. It really did look like they were they were throwing the game, and it was clearly for the beer money that they were making in the stands. And while we're on the topic of money, this offseason, Tennessee agreed to pay Jim Chaney, which is their offensive coordinator, for those of you that aren't familiar, million over three years after already paying his $500,000 buyout. And that made Chaney one of the highest paid coordinators in the country. Tennessee fans then claimed that they, quote, stole 
Cheney from Georgia. If this massive, no pun intended, purchase is considered stealing, <laughs> what else would constitute theft in your opinion? So if that's the standard for stealing, then I think Santa Claus would be a, a great a great theft in the world of Tennessee fans. So by stealing, huh. quote unquote, Cheney from us, they were really gifting us freedom from his oppression on our offense. Okay. So Santa, as we all know, you know, arguably the best gift giver of all time, most likely is seen as a thief by Tennessee fans since they think of it backwards like that. So I have a feeling that, you know, they don't get too many good gifts and probably find a lot of coal in their stockings in Knoxville every year, just, you know, seeing Santa as a thief since he, he gifts things like they did to us. Sure. And, and they've certainly gotten coal in their stockings so far this football season as we look at, at the beginning of football season like it's Christmas Day. To give listeners an idea of the kind of return Tennessee is getting on their $5 million investment, I want to discuss perhaps the most critical play call of the game on Saturday. The Vols led 16-13 to with under five minutes remaining in the fourth when they faced fourth and one at the BYU 30. They basically just had to get a first down. They're probably going to be able to run out the clock. A field goal would have put them up seven here, but they opted to go for it. And to get that one yard, Jim Chaney went with, and, and you could have guessed this, a running play to a wide receiver. Anyone who watched his failed Isaiah McKenzie fourth and one attempt against Vanderbilt 2016 could have seen it coming. And, and while the casual fan may have been critical of the play calling, Jeremy Pruitt actually criticized the runner. Here's what he had to say. The guy with the ball in his hand didn't finish the run the right way. Got to have awareness where the stick's at, right? Uh, sometimes you got to be your own blocker. Corey, moving forward, what kinds of drills do you think can prepare ball carriers to be their own blocker in short yard situations? Well, first off, I think, you know, we saw this coming. If you look back at week one, you know, Tennessee had offensive linemen subbing out mm -hmm. so frequently. And so I think, you know, we talked about it, like if they ever are out there on fourth down, it's not going to be the offensive line. So, you know, they probably had tight ends playing playing left tackle and left guard on that play. Um, so, you know, that's definitely not a, a good way to set yourself up for success. But my I have two two proposals for, for drills they could do. The first, I would say they petitioned the NCAA to allow a ball carrier to utilize some sort of prison shank while they have the ball. Okay. So like if I'm a defender and I see some crazy Tennessee player coming at me with the ball and he's blocking for himself with like a, you know, a, a spoon from the dining hall that he's carved into a shank, like I'm probably not going to try to tackle him. So mm -hmm. I think that would be an effective way as far as how you practice that, you know, you might have some, some loss there, but Tennessee's had as many injuries as you could possibly have this season. So I think they'd find a way to fight through it. I think a less, a less violent option would be to just inject every player with every PED possible and then deal mm -hmm. with the consequences like five to six years down the road when it gets exposed. So I think, you know, you lance it and you find out later on that the reason Tennessee bounced back and went six and six was because they were all on horse tranquilizers. Yes. And then the NCAA gives Tennessee the death penalty and then the program just actually dies. Yeah, and the program would be in better shape at that point too. Yeah. Just put, put themselves out of their misery by using the horse tranquilizer to get the death penalty. Yes. Um, now, now, while the ball carrier may have received the brunt of the criticism here for not being his own blocker, Jeremy Pruitt has actually received his share of criticism for the defensive lapses late in that game and the other game this season. So when asked what defensive call he made before Tennessee gave up a 64-yard play with 17 seconds left in the game to force overtime, Jeremy Pruitt said this, and here's the quote. 
The one that you don't let them throw it 75 yards in, Jimmy. When they asked him what play he called, he said, the one that you don't let them throw it 75 yards in. Corey, what are your thoughts on him calling this very specific play late in the game? Oh, man. You know, at this point, I think that the fans just really want to hear Pruitt blame the players. Mm -hmm. Which, like, in all honesty, is what happened on Saturday. I think, like, I imagine it as Pruitt could create some sort of, like, teacher-parent bond with the fans over telling them how bad their kid is doing at school and that it's not his fault that they can't learn. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the teacher and parents bond over the fact that the kid's stupid. I think that's honestly what Tennessee fans want to hear him do. Um, by saying he called that specific play, I don't necessarily think that was his best move. I think if you're going to call a different play, I think he should have called the don't give up 40 yards because then they're not, you know, in field goal range. Right. So, you know, maybe maybe if he shortens up the distance of the play call as far as how willing he's letting his defense get exposed, then – and maybe the game's different, but I think if he can't change the play call, then at this point he just has to start pointing fingers at the players. Yeah, and for getting technical here, they actually executed the play that he called. He he said in his quote, they called the one that you don't let them throw it 75 yards in. Now, Tennessee players execute this perfectly. They only gave up 64 yards on the play. Um, and, yeah. and while we're on the topic of execution from the players, obviously they executed that play, and there, there have been plays where they haven't executed, and part of that is due to the lack of talent on the roster. But Tennessee does have plenty of talent on their staff. They got a national championship quarterback, T. Martin. They got two-time All-American defensive lineman, Tracy Rocker. And they have an obvious candidate for starting offensive line in Jim Chaney. With the NCAA becoming more and more lenient about giving out hardship waivers to college athletes, what approach do you think these talented staff members can take on the NCAA to be reinstated as eligible college athletes? So yeah, you know, T. Martin led Tennessee to that national title in mm-hmm. 98. Um, I think he's definitely the go-to guy. I think at this point, Peyton probably wouldn't even want to get close to coming back in some sort of coaching role or, you know, as a player, I think that it would kind of tarnish his reputation he has with Papa John's. And mm-hmm. I don't think you want to risk that at this point in his career. Um, but I think, you know, even T. Martin, who's totally out of shape and probably can't throw for anything, I think the fans would just will him to a performance that would just, like, outshine Jarrett Marantano. Um, and I think I'll close with this. It's, I think it's this is a, how Tennessee fans dream at night. And I'll use a quote from a movie that we're both very fond of to – to sum it up but it says you're waiting for a train a train that will take you far away you know where you hope this train will take you but you can't be sure but it doesn't matter because we'll be together and it's a big group of tennessee fans standing next to a banner that says four win season 2019 poetic Corey amick everyone Corey, thank you as always for joining us it was a pleasure yeah thanks Doug. i'll talk to you next week okay bye <laughs> And now it is time for the Savage Pads Superfan segment featuring the UGA Spike Squad. Now, as a superfan myself, I love having the opportunity to highlight other superfans on the show. 
And no super fans could be more deserving of a feature on the Savage Pads podcast than the UGA Spike Squad themselves. The UGA Spike Squad paints up from head to toe for each home game and roots on the dogs from the front line of Section 109 in Sanford Stadium. They're fairly easy to spot in a crowd as they actually wear the Savage Pads that have since been adopted by the Georgia football team. I've got two members of the UGA Spike Squad with me. Brooks and Blake are on the line. Spike Squad fellas, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks Anytime. for having us. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Now, as a former member of the Spike Squad, I know that many of the members create a sort of character to paint up as on a weekly basis. Uh, can, can each of you introduce yourselves and, and briefly explain the inspiration behind your weekly Saturday get up? Yeah, cool. So uh, I um, usually paint up as a fan of the opera. I'm kind of a big uh, musical person. Okay. So uh, I always really liked uh, Phantom, and it was one of my favorites, so I always painted up as Phantom of the, of the opera, and I had a little rose on the front of my pads, kind of like the iconic rose, and kind of has a double meeting with uh, the Rose Bowl. Uh, the Rose Bowl nice. three, two. Yeah. So, yeah. And for me, I paint up as like a UGA rendition of Uncle Sam. <laughs> okay, and, I actually saw uh, that this week. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so basically, I just took the blue out and put it in black, and I got a big red and white striped hat with the G on it, I have cufflinks, I have the goatee. Nice. And the reason I went with that was just because I, I thought it would be an interesting uh, recruitment type of thing. You know, maybe we could use it for football and then also for the squad too. Yeah, that's a great idea. You guys could definitely use that uh, recruiting for the Spike Squad. But it would yeah. be awesome if, if football used it for recruiting as well. It's a great idea. And and as those characters, obviously game days look a lot different for you guys than they do for, for the typical Georgia student. Can you tell our audience how the hours leading up to a game on Saturdays look different for you all as opposed to the Saturday mornings of, of just regular Georgia students? Uh, for us, you know, the, the day starts pretty early. We get there at least two or three hours before the gates open, mm-hmm. and that's two hours before game time starts. So, so your um, seats aren't reserved for the Spike Squad? No, they are not reserved. We get in just like everybody else does. Okay. So we have to get there. We have to make sure that we are – first ones in line oh, if wow. we're not then it makes it you know a little bit scarier uh, but we do send some runners up when those gates open <laughs> and they are sprinting down the steps at reed and like going straight towards our seats to get there as quick as possible yeah so are there georgia fans that actually try to take the spike squad seats um usually not it's kind of understood most of the time that yeah. you know section 109 first couple rows you know that's spike squad's place okay but uh we have had some people that have stepped in first or second row, not not really realizing that that's where we do usually sit. Um, but, you know, we just got to talk to them, and usually uh, the fans understand. So Yeah, so so you guys get there earlier than everyone else. Obviously, you're painting your chest, painting your faces, um, p- putting on the pads. And I know something else, that, from my experience at least, that, that looked a lot different for the Spike Squad um, than, than the regular student experience was that Contrary to uh, what what many people would assume, we actually did not drink any alcohol before or during games. Can you explain why, as an organization, the Spike Squad promotes sobriety on game days among its members? Yeah, well, the the reason we go to be sober is because we're around so many kids and so many families that love to see what we do. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better on the spike squad than seeing a kid walk up to you and 
you're not sure whether he's scared or enamored at how you look, but <laughs> he's loving what he sees. Right. He or she is loving what they see. And they have a blast talking to us and taking pictures with us. They come up into the front row and we take pictures with, you know, multiple kids, multiple fans from, mm-hmm. I've had people from Ireland come to one game and they said that they had to have a picture with us. So, you know, we want to put on a good face for not just Georgia, but also the Spike Squad. And we're meeting people and taking pictures with them. Right. I mean, I, I personally am glad that the Spike Squad does that. I think it makes you a, a much better representation of the university and just a, of the student body as a whole. I mean, there's so many people that are coming up to the Spike Squad that those are the students that they're interacting with. And um, in, in my experience, the Spike Squad did, did a very good job of representing the student body well. Now, can you describe what's been a special moment between you all and a fan or a group of fans during your time as part of the Spike Squad? Uh, yeah, there's there's one thing that I can think of for sure. There's a kid that's been coming up uh, to you know hang out with us. I don't know. It's been I've been on the Spike Squad for three years, so it, okay. he's been here every single year that I've <laughs> been here. I know he's been here longer than that. Sure. Uh, but he'll come up and just hang out with us. Uh, he'll uh, cheer on the dogs with us. He loves getting loud. Uh, sometimes we put a little face paint on him, but he usually brings his own, uh, mask to even wear. Oh, wow. So, uh, he's he's still coming out the other day. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's like a little honorary member. Yeah, for real. Definitely. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I do remember some kids painting up on Halloween, uh, like a whole group of them. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them copied like specifically people from the spike squad on Halloween, but it does seem like there has always been. A, a kind of special connection between some of the younger Georgia fans and the Spike Squad, which is kind of funny to me because people would always, when I was on at least, people would always ask me, oh, man, children, are children terrified of you? The way you paint up, you look all scared. I'm like, no, they actually, they really like us. I don't know. They're Everybody else is scared. <laughs> but um, I, I got a final question for you guys. Again, back when I was on the Spike Squad, we had the head basketball coach at the time, Mark Fox, paint up with us. Do you all plan to have any celebrity guests this year, perhaps even for the Notre Dame game? Uh, we haven't really talked about it a ton, but we would love to have somebody like come out and paint with us, whether it be Tom Crean, kind of like what uh, right. Mark Fox did. Uh, we've been trying to talk to a few other Georgia fans, like celebrity Georgia fans, mm-hmm. trying to get them to paint up with us. Uh, haven't been super successful yet, but man, I'd love to do that. That would be so awesome. So, uh, we, we're, we're definitely going to keep on and try to get somebody out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things, if you get Tom Crean, um, tell him we want him on the show. (laughs) Just a little little (laughs) plug in there. Uh, we'd love to speak with Tom Crean. And also if you ever, you know, want to get some former members back out there and, uh, yeah. Have have us show you how it's really done. Uh, I know a couple people that would <laughs> be, awesome. be happy to Come do that. <laughs> it's fine. Just just invite yourself, Doug. That's cool. <laughs> uh, I wasn't I'm talking about me. Yourself. I was talking about some of my friends. I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, you were always wrong too. All right. All right. Great. Well, I'm. You know, we got that recorded, so I can take that take that to court. We got. Um, I'm gonna hold you to that. We don't want any smoke. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brooks and Blake, uh, really appreciate you guys joining us. Listeners, I'll just let you guys say it. Where, where can the listeners find you on game day? Oh, you can find us right in the front of section 109. 109. Just ask for Brooks and Blake. You can also Look. find us on, uh, what's, our, what's our Twitter handle? Oh, uh, just UGA Spike Squad on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. And Snapchat. 
Oh, Snapchat now. Kind of stepping it up. Yep. All Branching right. out. Yep. Well, uh, again, Brooks and Blake, thank you for your time. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having us. Yep. And per usual, Caleb Gwynn is joining the show again. I always say that because it rhymes, I think. But anyway, he's joining the show again to discuss the Murray State game and to look ahead to the Arkansas State game. Caleb, welcome back. What's up, man? This should be a fun one. I'm excited about this one. It's just good to talk about all the the good things that happened because there was a lot of good things. So Yeah, well, let's, let's just dive right in because... I want to discuss the good. I want to discuss the bad and the ugly. Um, that's that's the segment here. And Caleb, why don't you tell us what you saw was good in the Murray State game? Um, well, I'd be crazy if I didn't mention Pickens, um, the awesome grab. I mean, that's definitely good. Um, Zeus getting the, his first touchdown, that was really fun to see, seeing the smiles and just the, um, the exciting things going on for him, coming back from the ACLs. But I'm going to go with – with Fromm, um, because I think he's the key guy to getting to the national championship is where we want to go. Obviously, we can win these these Cupgate games all all season long, but um, unless Fromm gets comfortable and is is really on his A game, we can't really do anything. So, just just Fromm really going ten for eleven, um, throwing a touchdown. Obviously, he didn't do much, and you can really kind of see. Um, we really are holding holding him back and not really showing too much, trying to keep him healthy, which is completely understandable. But it was good to see him just really connecting with some new receivers, um, Pickens, Blaylock, um, even Wolf, um, getting some good touches and and getting downfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I just really enjoyed seeing Fromm get back into the groove and really showing that he uh, he has the possibility to be you know a top tier quarterback this year again. Yeah, I think some good that I saw outside of the players that you mentioned, Nolan Smith, oh my goodness. Last week I was like, all right, Aziz is our best player on defense uh, as far as the pass rush is concerned. And then Nolan Smith comes out of nowhere. And that kid, he's living up to that number one player in the country billing that he came in with. And I am very excited for three years of him. Zamir White, again, played incredible. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Channing Tindall a guy that has been my guy uh, for a year now, and I'm still impressed. He doesn't get the, the hype that some other players get, but I am continually impressed by his speed as an inside linebacker. Last player that, that I was really proud to see step up was Dominique Blaylock. We talked about him last week. We talked about how he needed to step up, and seeing it happen was was much needed um, for fans that were concerned about wide receiver depth, particularly in the slot. Caleb we don't have to talk about this for too long, but but if anything, what was bad on Saturday? Um, I'm you. You really can't say there was much bad. Um, mm-hmm. There were some things that I I think we definitely have to focus on getting better at um, a little bit. Uh, maybe um, um, pass uh, pass protection from getting a little hurried sometimes. You know, not a lot, obviously, but. Um, maybe with Salyer in there at um, right tackle coming in for Wilson, that was a little iffy. He did a great job, but there were still a few, you know, pass rush issues. Yeah, they had a rough um, start. And maybe, yeah, it was, it, I mean, it wasn't perfect, and you can't really expect to be perfect with him uh, coming in for the first time, but um, still think our line really impressive. Um, we just kind of got to get in a groove and start um, getting into everyday, everyday game ready, you know. Yeah, to me, the bad was just vanilla offense. It's that time of year where they're probably holding stuff back, and there's a part of you 
deep down where you're like, are we holding stuff back or is this it? Is this our offense? And you start to get anxious. Like we're pretty predictable. Likely it's it's just Georgia not showing their cards before some of the big games and also trying to keep guys like Fromm healthy. We're not going to run them on a read option. It would be stupid to do that. The ugly to me was that one blown coverage play. I believe it was Mark Webb. Um, and also there was a missed tackle by my guy, Eric Stokes, who I still love. I really can only think of one thing, and that's it. Uh, I have to agree with you that that's the only ugly, really, the the pass, that long touchdown. And and that uh, 100-yard game from Green, that uh, wide receiver they had. Um, the quarterback got some decent yards, 200 yards and a touchdown. Um, you'd like to see a little bit better from the DBs. But still, I mean, we're, we're the second game in the season we're learning we're getting into a groove um can't get mad at it but you know if we're we're taking away uglies you know Mm -hmm. bads and uglies that would be something that i would definitely see yeah and to to transition back into a more positive um way of looking at the game there are two players that we want to highlight every week and the first is always the smash mouth all-star of the week this is the player, we said this last week, who, who best embodies Kirby Smart's dedication to physicality, toughness, and composure. Caleb, what player stood out to you as the Smash Mouth All-Star of the Week this week, and why? Um, I went back and forth on um, Nolan Smith and Zamir White. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Nolan Smith. He is, and you talked about him a little earlier, mm-hmm. um, he's just such an exciting player. I mean, coming out of high school, number one recruit, um, and there was a lot of doubters saying that, you know, he shouldn't have got that. He's not as impressive as, you know, everybody's saying he is. But, I mean, we're seeing it here. Um, and everybody talks about the havoc rate. You know, I'm not really quite sure what that is or how you add it all up. But um, he's definitely got whatever they're talking about in havoc rate. I mean, he, he comes and he gets it and he's he's got that motor to come. He, he just seems to find find a way to get in the backfield and, you know, just – produce havoc is what we're looking for um he doesn't have to get 10 sacks a game he just has to get back there and cause pressure i mean that's what he's doing and he's a freshman it's crazy to see but so yeah i'm I'm extremely impressed with with how he's played yeah so for me the way i saw the game i feel like zamir white was the smash mouth all-star of the week um kirby pointed this out and and I think a lot of fans saw this. While Zamir had those great runs, he had a lot of yards after contact on on several runs. That was very impressive. The most impressive play was his pass protection. And to me, that play showed his dedication to all aspects of the game because as a running back, it's easy to become selfish when the ball's not in your hands to to kind of halfway do a rep or um, not not really go all out. And he just absolutely lit up a guy that was that was coming for the quarterback in his pass protection and to me that was like all right that that seals the deal he is the smash mouth all-star of the week savage pads player of the week that's where i put nolan smith um he he just performed incredibly well got to the quarterback was so fast was making plays all over the field very impressed is, is that who you had as your savage pads player or did you have someone else um yeah i kind of flip-flopped on you okay uh, with zamir okay. um okay. i guess um, yeah, just seeing, just seeing how, how Zamir, you know, coming back from the ACL surgeries and like you said, the, the pass, uh, um, protection and just the, just the fight. I, I think the most exciting thing to watch was him coming off the field and just all the players just getting excited for him. Mm-hmm. 
and just uh, uh, to see in the future, to see into the future of, of what he can be and just all the players getting excited for him. Uh, you know he's going to be an amazing player and a, and a great teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were saying before, he's, he's, he's willing to do the things that don't, doesn't really get uh, the recognition. And, um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of flip-flopped. But, yeah, okay. same player. Okay. Well, Zamir certainly performed better on the field than, than we did with our picks um, in our pick six segment. Both of us got two games right, and Caleb, you got the extra point as your score <clears throat> prediction was actually four points off as far as the score differential is concerned. Differential, I said that funny. Um, but anyway, that leaves me with four points after two weeks of play, and you have three, so we got a close little game going here. Our picks certainly have room for improvement moving forward, and unfortunately, the bulk of that improvement is going to have to happen after next week as there are just are not six good football games worth talking about for a pick six segment this week. So we're just <laughs> going to skip ahead to the extra point. All right, pretend there was a touchdown. Extra point, Arkansas State at number three, Georgia. It's a noon game. Caleb, who do you have? Yeah, I think, I think we're going to try to stay as healthy as possible, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, hopefully get out to a lead. Um, and then just play it safe, yeah. um, which I think is smart. We'd like to see a ridiculous amount of points on the board. but um, So I'm going to go a little bit lower than I did last uh, last week. I'm going to go 45 uh, to 10, okay. um, just keeping everybody healthy, uh, um, getting in a groove, getting ready for that uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame game. Yeah, so I, I took a different approach this week, and I looked at – the last couple of weeks. So Arkansas State lost to SMU 37 to 30 before beating UNLV 43 to 17. Georgia won its opening games against Vanderbilt 30 to 6 and then Murray State 63 to 17. That sort of gave me a feel for where I think the teams are going to score. I have Georgia winning 51 to 13, sort of an odd score here, but I'm going with it. And, and Caleb, now that you and I have both made our picks, I want to hear from you. What do you want to see? from this Georgia team on Saturday and their last tune-up game before the showdown with Notre Dame, like you said? Um, I guess it kind of goes into what I was talking about, the the bad and the ugly, just seeing that um, fine-tuning of the mm-hmm. pass protection. I would like to see, and and what I was excited about last week as well, is D-Rob um, getting a, another touchdown. Kind of, We're kind of seeing him as really stepping into uh, a top receiver and yeah. getting those consistent looks, consistent targets. Um, Jake Fromm's getting comfortable with him. So it would be cool to see him um, do well again and just kind of solidify himself as a, a top receiver. Obviously, Pickens um, is another guy. But, you know, just kind of looking forward to seeing who our top guys really are um, going into the bigger games in the future. Yeah. For me, I, I would like to see George Pickens continue to emerge. I do think – by the time we get to Alabama, we are going to absolutely need a, a for real number one receiver that can go up and get the ball against anybody that can win any one-on-one matchup. And and Pickens, while he has the talent, it will take some time, I think, for everyone to be comfortable with him being that guy. I mean, he's still not a starting wide receiver on the team. It's not a matter of talent, and it's not a matter of, of performance thus far. I mean, he's outperformed just about anybody on the team. Um, but I do think these Arkansas State-type games give him a great opportunity to get some reps, to get comfortable with Fromm, to get used to, to dominating an opponent before moving into some of the SEC East games and then the, the bigger games against, hopefully, against Alabama or LSU and then, and then moving into the playoffs. So George Pickens, it's huge for me. I would love to see continue to see Zamir White develop. 
um, and continued a, a trend of creating havoc plays on defense like has been the theme all preseason and in, in, in the start of this season. That's going to be a huge factor for Georgia to contend for a national championship is forcing turnovers. We've got a lot of young guys on defense as well that are trying to do that. And the more reps that they get and the more experience they have making plays, the better for Georgia. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm excited. Um, yeah, just getting ready for Notre Dame because I know even though um, Notre Dame has not really proven themselves as being, you know, crazy competition and a scary game, uh, I do think coming into uh, Dooley Field at Sanford Stadium, um, it'll be it'll be our first test, and we'll I think I'll, we'll really see you know what's going to happen. But I think this game is super important and finding stuff out that we need to find out before we go into that game so yeah yeah i'm excited absolutely well caleb as always thank you for joining us your expert analysis is just unbeatable it's undefeated (laughs) man well i do what i can and uh yeah i'm looking forward to the rest of the season for sure yeah absolutely all right thanks caleb appreciate it go dogs go dogs and that wraps up this week's episode. If you're traveling to Athens for the game this weekend, please travel safely. If you're watching from the couch of a nice air-conditioned home, I will be right there with you. And if you don't plan to watch the game this weekend, why did you listen to this podcast? I don't know. But anyway, thank you for listening. And thank you very much to those of you who share the show with the dog fans that they know. Until next time, go dogs.